Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. All right, the vast right-wing conspiracy known as Clavenon continues. This is the moment to go out and pre-order my new novel, The House of Love and Death. It has gotten rave pre-publication reviews. It has been called the best in the series. You don't have to have read the rest of the series, but when you read this, you will want to. Please go out and do it. It means a lot to me uh, if we can get this book on the Times list, which we haven't done. The other books have been on the USA Today list. But if we can get this book on the Times list, it will be a major, major victory and ensure that this will be as long a series as I want it to be. The House of Love and Death. Please go out and pre-order it. You can pre-order Kindle. You can pre-order the book. It doesn't matter. Also, time to join and subscribe to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel, where you will get exclusive content smuggled into your wife's handbag, wrapped in pornography, so no one will know it's anything uh, dangerous or disgusting. Also, if you leave a comment on my YouTube channel, and that comment violates the laws of God and man, <laughs> we will read the comment on the air, because this is what we are here for. This week's uh, comment is from Russ J. Cameo. He says, I would like to coin a new verb to clave, which means to cleave through idiotic nonsense and get to the heart of the matter. And yes, I know it's K-L-A-V-A-N. That was that was my high school um, nickname, clave. And so I think we're going to use that from now. We're claving in to the heart of the culture and politics, which brings us to today's episode, Democrats Descending. So for the past few weeks, I've been harping on a certain theme, which is that if you're looking to Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or any other powerful person or political event to restore your country or your personal happiness, you're looking in the wrong direction. Before you do anything else, you have to turn the ship of your soul to its North Star, which is the image of God as represented by you so that you can become the person you were made to be. You don't have to become that person, but you have to start the journey, and that will help you do politics in a much better and more joyful way without getting destroyed or chewed up by it. But this week, it has started to become obvious that the wheels are coming off the Democrat bus. And when I say the Democrats, I mean the left and the, and the media. They're all the same people. And only the lies, in fact, of this corrupt corporate press we now have that telling us that everything is fine uh, is, is what's keeping the Democrat illusion alive. But it's falling apart. And you can see it. And that means political action, as always, is relevant. And so I want to talk about the fact that once you have gotten yourself ready to deal with this stuff without being corrupted yourself, uh, there is a way to turn to deal with the wickedness of the world and the failures and the lies of the Democrats. And I want to discuss a Christian approach to politics that I don't think you will hear anywhere else. I think this will be completely different and it will frustrate some of you, but I think others it might inspire. So let's get started with chapter one, Democrat wickedness. So when I'm talking about politics, I always hate to use the word evil. It's overused, and it's used as a license to hate your political opponents. And that's a mis- actually a misuse of the word. Evil is a living force in the world that acts to destroy the souls of human beings. It's an actual intentional force in the world. And I think, you know, the Bible says the devil prowls like a lion. And I think you should mourn when the lion devours the souls of one of your fellow human beings, because if you're 
distracted by saying, oh, you know, he's corrupt. He's the bad guy. He's the, you know, the lion is sneaking up behind you. He loves, he loves your anger. He drinks your hatred. He loves your superior pride and all that stuff. That's meat and drink to, to the devil. But on the other hand, the pity that we feel for suffering people is often abused to cause us to condone evil. And, you know, this is, this is why in uh, Dante's Inferno, in the Inferno of the Divine Comedy, Dante is told not to pity the damned. And it's very hard for him because it's very human. He sees people he knew suffering in the fires of hell, but he's told you can't pity them. And I think the reason for that is that to pity them is to essentially condone the evil that they now represent because they're now in eternity. They're now done with their lives. There's no, there's no chance of their being redeemed, so he's not supposed to pity them. Evil, I can't help noticing, tends to progress in these three stages. They, they bring it to you in terms of pity. You have to be compassionate. And then there's a period of darkness or silence or secrecy where they say, don't look at this. And then they use force. So, for instance, they say, oh, look, there's the poor unwed mother, the poor, oh, don't you, you, ha- don't you pity her? She needs to have an abortion. You have to let her have an abortion. And then it's, don't you show that picture of an abortion. I'm going to turn over your table on campus if you put out a picture of an abortion because anybody looking at it can see that it's murder, that it's evil. And then when they've gotten enough people to pity the poor mother and understand that it's her human right to kill her baby and all that, that's when they use force. That's when suddenly you get Roe v. Wade. It's a human right. It's a human right to slaughter. If you protest it, they're going to bang down your door at night and carry you away. It's, you know, it's a human right. The same thing with the sexualization of children. Here's Florida's really spectacularly great governor, Ron DeSantis, with CBS's Nora O'Donnell. And she goes after him for saying that teachers shouldn't be teaching sexuality in class. Cut one. Most gay people say they knew they were gay since they were a kid. But they know most of their life they were gay. But here's the, here's the question. Is, what does that have to do with math class or English class or history class. So well, should I'm not, they feel accepted in schools? Everyone should there should, be, to, everyone should there be should tolerance. Be, everyone and should be accepted, 100. <laughs> percent That's that's the right answer because she's saying, oh, you know, you, you must have pity the bullies, the people who are being bullied. Oh, are they accepted? And he's saying you're teaching math. Stop sexualizing the children. So now, the Senate holds a hearing on book banning, right? Because this is the next thing, you know, you're violating the rights. It's a human right to show any book you want to little children, right? And the Illinois Secretary of State, Alexei Giannoulis, I think his name is, shows up to defend this their law, the Illinois law banning the banning of pornographic books for children. And John Kennedy of Louisiana, in a truly gutsball political play, it was a really great thing, simply read the book, something called like All Boys Aren't Blue or something like this. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to play it here because I'm sure you've, many of you have seen it online because it is just pornographic descriptions of gay sex. And, and it's, it says on the book that it's for 10-year-olds. It's for 10-year-olds, so it's five, fifth grade, so it's elementary school. And the, because he's violating this rule, because the minute you hear it, you think it's not banning a book to keep that away from children. And then he does the same thing that DeSantis did, did to Nora O'Donnell. He turns to the Secretary of State from Illinois, and this is what he says, cut two. Mr. Secretary, what are you asking us to do? Are you suggesting that only librarians should decide whether the two books that I just referenced 
should be available to kids? Is that what you're saying? No. Okay. Tell me what you're saying. Well, first of all, there's this. Don't give me a speech. Tell me what you're asking will, me to do. With all due respect, Senator, the words you spoke are disturbing, especially coming out of your mouth is very disturbing. But I would, I would also tell you that we're not advocating for kids to read porn, to Senator Booker's what point. What are you advocating for? We are advocating for parents random parents not to have the ability under the guise of keeping kids safe to try and challenge the world view of every single manner on these issues. Is that amazing? Of course, he's asking to sexualize children through reading these books. What is he talking about? Random parents. How did these parents become random? <laughs> the parents of the children, the teachers are random. The teachers just happen to be there. The parents gave birth to, nurtured, and loved this child. There is no guarantee that the Secretary of State of Illinois even like. He doesn't know their names. But that that question: What is it you want? What are you looking for here? Once you read the book, he. You hear that long silence. Once you read the book, he can't say, I want children to read this book because that is what he wants. That's what they all want. They want to sexualize and queer, as they call it, children. Now, once you get people to pity the poor bullied gay boy and once you get people to say, oh, it's a human right. Oh, my goodness. You don't want to be- you don't want to take away their right to read, you know, graphic porn. But it's not graphic porn. Just don't read it out loud because then we'll see it's graphic porn. But don't do that. Then they bring the force. Here is Assemblywoman Lori Wilson proposing a law that has now passed uh, the Assembly, I believe, uh, you know, full of pity for trans children. She wants to pass a new law. It's cut four. If you have a seven-year-old who's, who's talking about they believe that they are not the same gender um, as they are biologically, then it should be affirmed. By saying and rejecting it in wholesale, then you're essentially rejecting your child. Yes, you know, this is true because when my child comes to me with a blanket on for a cape and says, I'm Superman, I'm going to go jump off the roof. If I don't affirm, if I don't say, son, you jump off that roof because you're Superman, then I am rejecting that child. What the hell is she talking about? But the law passed because they've got the power to do it. California is a one party state and what it says. Now, here's the other thing, because they have to lie because the, you know, the light of day exposes them. What it says is basically that in a custody battle, the judge should include a consideration of whether the parent, which one of the parents uh, rejects their need for transgender care. It doesn't mention transgender, but that's what it's all about. And they keep saying, well, it doesn't say you lose custody, but come on. It's a threat. It's a psychological threat. And we all know it is. And that, you know, this is the thing. It doesn't, it doesn't take custody away yet, but it sets up for that. And they say it doesn't, but that's what it's for because you're rejecting that child. If you don't say, if that child comes to you and says, I'm a mermaid, if that, you know, and you don't let that child swim underwater till he's dead, you are rejecting that child. The problem for the left is that when you get to the stage of force, you are not dealing with a country that is used to being pushed around. Now, I understand we went through the pandemic and people were pushed around. They were scared. They've been scared by climate change panic. You know, and this is the idea to keep the panic going all the time. You always got to be panicked because you can't think you got to make a decision. Give me the power. No, no, no. That's the way they want it. But but when it goes too far, when it gets to be forced, People start to fight back. New Mexico this week, Governor Luan Grisham declared an emergency on gun violence 
and said that it gave her the right to strip people of their Second Amendment rights, even though the laws in New Mexico guarantee those rights. And there was a recent Supreme Court decision saying that those rights are, in fact, guaranteed. Here she is announcing this emergency measure. If there's an emergency, and I've declared an emergency for a temporary amount of time, I can invoke additional powers. No constitutional right, in my view, including my oath. And the pity comes out again. What about these people being killed? They have, they have constitutional rights, too. But, of course, no criminal, as she herself admitted, by the way, no criminal is going to give up his guns because she declares an emergency. So all she's doing is disarming the public. She's disarming the public so they can be slaughtered like sheep. And they deserve it anyway because it's a systemic racist uh, country. So you would think, like, oh, my, how, how could this happen? But, in fact, it, it really hasn't happened. The police wouldn't enforce it. The attorney general, who is, like her, a uh, Democrat, said, this is unconstitutional. I'm not going to I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sue. I'm not going to fight for you. A judge uh, had a temporary restraining order. And so people do push back. The wheels are really coming off. And, and you know, the Biden administration, twice, two courts have told the Biden administration, stay away from social media because it has been shown, proved beyond a reasonable doubt, that the administration cajoled, tricked, and threatened a fairly willing social media into rigging the last election by withholding evidence. They withheld Hunter Biden's laptop. They silenced the president of the United States. And they basically, uh, during the, the uh, pandemic, they only let out the party line, most of which turned out to be wrong. Masks don't help. There are some side effects to the vaccine. I think the, side, the, the vaccine actually helped certain people in certain groups endangered, but it they pushed it down our throats. They said yeah, they, they mandated it. Now they're saying we didn't mandate it, but they did. So the Biden administration is now appealing this to the Supreme Court. Why? Because without silence, they can't win. And I don't think they're going to win this in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has already decided cases similar to this. They are trying to silence protected speech through businesses and saying, well, it's not the government doing it. It's, it's the social media. But we all know that is wrong. They're scared. And they should be scared because their corruption is being exposed, and not just their corruption, but their massive failures. All right, this brings us to chapter two, Democrat failures. We have to start on the opinion page of the New York Times, a former newspaper. The opinion page is what I like to call Knucklehead Row. You know, David Brooks, a big knucklehead, recently wrote a column that we read on the air and everybody was very taken with it where he said, are we beautiful, elite, Democrat, liberal people? Are we the bad guys? Pointing out that left-wing policies help them, the elite, but destroy the lives of everyone else. But I've been thinking that that's a lot easier for them to think about than the fact that they're the stupid guys. You know, they have all the credentials. They've been to all the big colleges. And I know, you know, people who didn't graduate high school who are smarter than they are. So now Brooke, here's Brooks' latest. The American Renaissance is already at hand. And he opens about by talking about the fact that China, which was supposed to have this big economy that was going to put us in the shade, is actually falling down, is actually collapsing, as that nice Andrew Claven fellow you sometimes hear about uh, predicted a decade ago was going to happen. And Brooks gets the reason exactly right. He gets the reason why China's 
economy is collapsing. He says the causes of China's stagnation are myriad and deep, but the core problem are endemic to the regime. Centralized authoritarian control is incompatible with a wide open, innovative, free flowing modern economy. You want free trade, you got to have free people. Then he goes on to celebrate the return of manufacturing jobs in the Middle West. He says chips, Electric vehicles, renewable energy sources, and batteries are being manufactured in places like Michigan, Kentucky, Minnesota, and Arizona. What does he learn from this? Bidenomics is working big time. He says, according to the Treasury Department, over 80% of the investment made through the Inflation Reduction Act is going to counties with college graduation rates lower than the national average. So the problem with China, I don't want to say that David Brooks is an idiot, but the problem in China where the economy seemed to be expanding but the centralized government control made it collapse. But the reason the American economy is expanding is centralized government control, which is pouring tax dollars into manufacturing things that people do not want. They are subsidizing electric cars, windmills, solar panels. If people wanted those things, they wouldn't have to subsidize them. People would buy them and give them money for it. That is how capitalism works. What is the real result? Here it is. The poverty rate in the United States surged from 9.3% in June to 11.7% in November, according to a report released Wednesday by analysts at the University of Chicago and the University of Notre Dame, creating the biggest increase in a single year since the government began tracking poverty in 1960. Guess what? Bidenomics is working. Black Americans, children, and those with a high school education or less have disproportionately been impacted. Guess what? Bidenomics is working. <laughs> it's like that time we played that crazy laughing guy from Dracula. Poverty rates for blacks have risen by 3.1% since June. The poverty rate for individuals without a college degree has climbed. Approximately 2.3 million children under the age of 17 have fallen into poverty over the past six months. Guess what? <laughs> Bidenomics is working. <laughs> shouldn't be laughing at poor children and poor black people, but I have to laugh at this doddering corrupto guy sitting and telling us it's working. And David Brooks in the New York Times, knucklehead row, oh, he's so, so smart. Bidenomics is working big time, except for all the poverty and the skyrocketing gas prices and the fact that people can't buy a loaf of bread. They're getting, it's getting to be like Jean Valjean time. People get this. You cannot hide the fact that people can't afford dinner. You can't hide the fact that they can't afford to take a vacation. You can't hide a fact, the fact that they're poor by saying, guess what? Bidenomics is working. Ain't going to do it. So it's coming out. So this is an amazing piece in the Washington Post. I, I really love this. The Washington Post where democracy dies in darkness, if they have anything to say about it. David Ignatius, and I have to understand, David Ignatius is... The, the dean of left-wing writers, you know, he's fully hooked into the CIA, and he starts off this piece, and he's he's the guy who, like, you sort of, I don't know how to say it, when he says it, then leftists have the permission to say it. He starts off, what a great, great, great president Biden has been. I, he just loves him. He, I, 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 David Ignatian, cannot get enough of this president. And then he says, 
but don't run for re-election. I don't think Biden and Vice President Harris should run for re-election. Painful to say that, given my admiration for much of what they have accomplished. All that poverty, I love that. That's great. But if he and Harris campaign together in 2024, I think Biden un- risks undoing his greatest achievement, which was stopping Trump. He's so perfect in every way that he only has two problems. He's too old, and his vice president is an absolute moron. And that, you know... that. Then there was this on CNN, and this is a giveaway. This is just an absolute giveaway that the rug is beginning to, you know, it's just like like old old Joe was walking around, what's that moving under my feet? I don't know. It's the rug being pulled out from under you. This was on CNN, so this is just a little signal. Uh, It's almost an apologetic segment. The guy kept saying, unfortunately, oh, I'm sorry to say this, but Joe Biden is a complete corrupt liar. Here it is, cut 13. He claimed he had witnessed a bridge collapse in Pittsburgh when he actually showed up about six hours later. He claimed that his grandfather had died just days before he was born himself at the same hospital. In fact, his grandpa died more than a year before in a different state, not not the same hospital. Um, and, uh, and he also repeated a favorite false story that I and others have debunked over and over again about a supposed conversation with an Amtrak train conductor he was friends with, who was actually deceased at the time the conversation would have had to take place. And that's not all. There are some more serious ones in in my view. Uh, Previously in his presidency, he claimed at one point he'd been arrested during a civil rights protest when in other versions of the story, he just said an officer had taken him home uh, from a protest. He said he had visited the the Pittsburgh synagogue where worshippers were killed in a 2018 mass shooting. In fact, he'd actually spoken to the rabbi, uh, but never but never went. (laughs) Other than that, he's a totally, totally honest man. I mean, this is the channel where they're telling you there's no evidence for impeachment, which is hilarious. Biden, he's just, just so fantastic that if we could just get rid of him, it would be great. He's a failure. This is a failed administration. This is a failed presidency. And one of the things you keep hearing him say is failure. He's passed more legislation than anybody in history. But it's crap legislation. It is not working. It is bad. But, you know, what good does it do if you pass legislation that makes people poor, prices higher, you know, starts businesses that are just going to die because you're just giving them tax dollars. You're just paying them to do things that people don't want them to do. The guy is a failure and the Democrats know it. Many, about a third of the Democrats know that he's committed a crime. The wheels are coming off the bus, except for chapter three, Democrat lies. You know, when you talk about Democrat lies, you talk about all the lies they tell us. A a man can become a woman and then you have to shut you down on every social media if you say it's just not true because there is no scientific evidence whatsoever that there is any such thing as gender outside of your physical form. So they tell us these lies and then they enforce the lies by the darkness, right? The lies and then the darkness to keep the lies alive. But they're also the lies they tell themselves that are really, really important. Let's just for a moment return to the New York Times op-ed page, or as we call it, Knucklehead Row. So this is an amazing column by Nicholas Kristof. And I like reading Nicholas Kristof because he's a person of goodwill. But he's a leftist, and he's, and he's enveloped in the New York Times. And being enveloped in the New York Times is like being inside a fog of lies, because there are things that you are not allowed to think. And, and that's the world they've wanted to create 
for all of us, things that you are not allowed to think. You know, Elon Musk is uh, suing or in a battle with the Anti-Defamation League, which used to be, back in the way back in the day, used to be a kind of Jewish group for fighting anti-Semitism, but it has become just another one of these left leaning, not left-leaning, leftist organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center that are just hate groups meant to, uh, you know, label right-wingers with being anti-Semitic or bigoted or any or any other way. And on their website, on the ADL website, there is a thing saying, you know, there are these right-wing dog whistles that are numbers, so nobody knows what they mean, like 1250. And what is 1250 or 1450, I think it was. What is 1450? 1450 means that black Americans are only 14% of the population, but they commit 50% of the violent crimes. And I thought, well, that's true. You know, but to them, that's a racist whistle. So when you silence people, when you don't let people think things, what happens is the people who are villains, who are actual bigots, can use those numbers and it gives them the kind of imprimatur of telling the truth. It suddenly gives them power. It doesn't stop people from knowing these things. It means they just can't think them. And when somebody does think some, somebody does come out and say them, you give power to the most hateful person in the room. But the thing is, the left has made it so they themselves can't think the truth. So, knucklehead row, Nicholas Kristof, he writes a column, calls the one privilege liberals ignore. I'll pause for a second so you can guess what it is. What is the one privilege liberals ignore? Here's the column. American liberals have led the campaign to reduce child poverty since Franklin Roosevelt, and it's a proud legacy. But we have a long but we have long had a blind spot. Now remember, they've just come out the figures that child poverty Poverty has skyrocketed under Biden, so they're not doing that well. What's the problem? We're often reluctant to acknowledge one of the significant drivers of child poverty, the widespread breakdown of the family, for fear that to do so would be patronizing or racist. It's an issue largely for working class whites, blacks, and Hispanics, albeit most prevalent among African Americans. But just as you can't have a serious conversation about poverty without discussing race, you also can engage unless you consider single parent households. He then goes on to recite statistics that I'll bet if we brought Ben Shapiro in here, I'll bet Ben could recite these statistics by heart. Families headed by single mothers are five times as likely to live in poverty as married coupled families. Children in single mother homes are less likely to graduate from high school or earn a college degree. They're more likely to become single parents themselves, perpetuating the cycle. Almost 30% of American children now live with a single parent or with no parent at all. One reason for the sensitivities is large racial disparities. Single parenting is less common in white and Asian households, but only 38% of black children live with married parents. Now, if you are a Daily Wire listener, you hear this all the time. We say this all the time. This is the problem in the black community. It's not welfare. It's not racism. It's not systemic this. It's not systemic that. It is the breakdown of the family. You know, in 1965, and Christoph, to his credit, cites this, a Democrat, liberal Democrat, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, wrote a famous report saying the black family, the Negro family, as they called it then, was falling apart. And it's, that is what is keeping them in poverty, and welfare programs don't help. And it's kind of, he doesn't say this, I don't believe, but 
you can see the welfare payments are going up and up and up. And so they're essentially subsidizing the breakdown of the family. It is the Democrat programs that have facilitated and paid for the breakdown of the family. Well, Moynihan was pilloried. He was sexist. You know, man, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. He was racist. You're just picking on the black folks. One person said, you, you just think that everybody needs a family like yours. Moynihan saying, no, I'm just telling you the facts. It is the same with the left. The National Council on Family Relations, you know what they said? They said, we need to stop praising families because families are white privilege. So in other words, the problem is that too many people, too many white people have families, not that too many black people don't have families. So Christoph goes on. He says, many college graduates in theory embrace all kinds of family relationships. In theory, they do. But they remain traditional in their personal behaviors, mostly having children after marriage and raising their own kids in two-parent households. Brad Wilcox, a sociologist, calls this Talk left, walk right. You know, I tell, tell this to my liberal friends all the time, my few remaining liberal friends all the time. I have an expression, don't believe what you don't believe, right? But the left depends on making you feel that you must believe what you don't believe. All right, Nick Kristoff. The United States is an outlier in family breakdown. A Pew study of 130 countries found that American children were more likely to live with a single parent than those of any other nation. Now, listen to where Nick Kristoff, and I'm not, I'm not blaming him for this. He's like, you know, these poor girls who grow up under feminism and be, have lived miserable lives. This is his culture. He cannot think this. He is not allowed to think anything but this. He says the proposed solutions from conservatives, such as marriage promotion efforts tried under the George W. Bush administration, have had little impact. What does appear to strengthen marriages, lifting earnings of low education men, this makes them more marriageable, researchers find. Well, that is utter nonsense. We already know that giving people money doesn't change the culture. Why, you know, why does he think, you know, Bush did put, I think it was one $0.5 billion into promoting the family, which was looked at askance by the left. Why didn't the Bush administration's policy work? Were they supported by the New York Times? No. Nick Kristoff's side won. That's why they didn't work. They own the culture. The left owns the culture. Tucker Carlson, he can't see it. He cannot see this. Tucker Carlson had this insight about Donald Trump that I think is, is worth playing. I, I don't usually play other commentators, because why would I? But but he said something about Donald Trump that I thought for a long time, and I believe it is absolutely true. It's cut three. If, like, Trump is the one they hate the most, like, what did Trump do wrong? I mean, you could say, oh, well, he's orange or whatever. Okay, fine. But, like, has he really committed a crime so severe that we should send him to prison for the rest of his life? That's insane. And half the Republicans in Washington, probably closer to about 95%, would be very psyched if he went to prison for the rest of his life. So why is that? I'll tell you exactly why. I know, because I've watched this really carefully from Washington for his entire term, and then the subsequent three years. They hate Trump because they fear Trump. And they fear Trump not because of what he might do, but because what he might say. That is exactly right. Because as, as Tucker points out in that clip, he, in the longer version of that clip, Trump's policies were never that conservative. He's not that conservative a guy. And his policies, as Tucker says, in the 80s would have been kind of center left. But 
he says anything that comes into his mind. And we know that can be a drawback. And I think it cost him the election. I think it's a real problem for him in, on the one hand. But we love him for it also because he says things. Where, it's, like, it's like the Overton window. You know, the Overton window is the, that place that you're allowed to talk about. And the left has been moving and moving the Overton window where any truth to say black people have a problem that they, only they can solve, which is a culture of family breakdown. And if their churches can't preach it, and if the people don't teach it, and if the television doesn't represent it, and if the movies and songs don't represent it, and if all you get is whap, you know, if all you get is like songs about sex and I'm a, you know, I, I, my, the women are hoes, if that's all you get, it doesn't matter how much money George W. Bush pushes, pushes into it because that is a cultural problem among black families. Moynihan said it grew out of slavery. I don't even know if that's true. I kind of doubt that it's true because it's gotten worse and worse and worse over the years. There are now more children uh, born out of wedlock among black families than there were when the Democrats were literally selling them down the river instead of as slaves, instead of just figuratively selling them down the river as they're doing today. Virginia, you know, just this is something like Nick, Nicholas Kristof simply, I'm sure he's a bright guy, but he just wouldn't think about it because he can't think about it. And that's what makes them stupid. They're not stupid because their IQs are low. They're stupid because they themselves have created a world in which they are not allowed to think the truth. In Virginia, Glenn Youngkin doing a really good job. He's trying to win a majority in the assembly so he can do you know, more of the things that he wants to do, especially making sure that schools straighten up and fly right. And that's not why he's not running for president, I believe, because he wants to have these accomplishments, maybe also political considerations, who knows. So one close race, Susanna Gibson, a nurse practitioner with two children, was found to have live streamed videos on Chatterbait. Love it. A legal website where viewers can watch live webcam performances featuring nudity and sexual activity. She did sex acts and you could pay her with her husband, I believe, and you could pay her to do specific sex acts. So rather than withdraw from the campaign, as a lady or a gentleman would have done in the old days, she posted, this is an illegal, illegal invasion of my privacy. It was online. I mean, she was posting these things online. What was her, where was her privacy? What the hell was her privacy? It was, this is an illegal invasion of my privacy designed to humiliate me and my family. It won't intimidate me and it won't silence me. So brave, so stunning. I mean, just stunning and brave, brave, but also stunning, stunning, but also when you think about it, kind of brave. You know, <laughs> if they're trying to humiliate her, if it's humiliating, why is it good? Why is she defending it? Why isn't she saying, oh, I shouldn't have done this? And all the people, of course, on the left are saying this, what a hero, stunning, brave, brave, stunning. So she's an example to people. She's a leader. She wants to be a leader in her community. And, and she's obviously a, you know, a, a, a sturdy, she seems to be in a sturdy marriage where they just happen to have sex online <laughs> instead of in the bedroom. But what is she setting the example of? To whom? What is she setting the example of and to whom? If there are people in her district who are not well-educated, who are poor, who do not have a culture that says, you know, you ought to treat yourself with respect. You shouldn't be listening to WAP and all this stuff. What is she showing them? She is leading them down the garden path into this cycle of poverty that begins with marriages falling apart. It is, you know, is it not related to our sexual promiscuity that marriages fall apart? If you can get it anywhere, don't you, in fact, you know, isn't there less instigation to get married? 
it is just, it's always the same. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't show it because then everything will know. I, everyone will know I did something wrong. This is like the, the uh, impeachment inquiry of Biden, right? He hasn't done anything wrong, but don't talk about it. Don't show it. It's just amazing. So Kevin McCarthy has been kind of maneuvered into the place where he has to have this impeachment inquiry. But, he, but it's for a good reason. The, the House investigating committee, the oversight committee, has very carefully built a case that they should get some documents that will prove that Joe Biden participated in the Hunter Biden's influence peddling. So they've built this case where they said, look, here is the banks complaining that there's funny business going on. Here is money coming in from Burisma and from China and from the Ukraine going into these uh, shell companies, these weird phony shell companies that pay into the Biden family. But we need some more documents to prove that some of that money went directly to the then vice president, Joe Biden. And of course, they don't want to give up those those documents because I'm sure that they show what they show. And so we need to have an impeachment inquiry because historically the courts have given more respect to an impeachment inquiry. So all you hear from the press, all you hear is there's no evidence. There's no evidence. There's no proof because they're looking for proof, but they're looking for proof because there's evidence, right? The evidence is incredible. They have all these documents. They have all this testimony. They have the uh, whistleblowers saying that the investigation was tied up, but they also have all this stuff showing this really, really bad stuff. So the press says it's only, you know, it's there's not enough evidence. There's no evidence. And let's remember, by the way, that Donald Trump, Trump made a joke that he hoped the Russians would release Hillary Clinton's destroyed email. And Adam Schiff said, that's proof. There is evidence. There is evidence that he was working with the Russians. He said it. He said it in public. We've got him dead to rights. There are cameras on. But there's no, absolutely no evidence that Devin Archer's testimony with the, all these bank documents and all the bank complaints that this is suspicious activity. Sometimes like 170 complaints that Hunter was doing uh, suspicious activity. All the phone calls Hunt, uh, Joe apparently made, the actual lunches with people who then paid into the kitty. No evidence whatsoever. Great exchange. Scott Perry from Pennsylvania has a reporter come up to him and says, this just looks like political revenge. This isn't about political revenge. We have the bank accounts. We can see, ma'am, you can see that the homes that the Bidens own can't be afforded on a, on a congressional or Senate salary. You also understand that it's not normal for family members to receive millions of dollars from overseas interests. Those things aren't normal. That's not normal to have 20 shell, shell country, companies. These things are not normal, and it alludes to not only just widespread corruption, but money laundering, if not influence peddling itself. And we also have the president, or the vice president at the time on record saying that the prosecutor was fired. Well, son of a the prosecutor was fired, right? Because the prosecutor was going after the, the company that his son was working on. That's what we have. If you can't see that, if you are, if you are that blunt, look, I'll turn it over to the attorneys. People can't see that. They think it's political revenge. It's because you don't report on it. <laughs> she says the people don't see that. They think it's political revenge. She says because you're lying to them. And that is, of course, the case. So this is what we've got. The Democrats are promoting evil. And I'm not saying individuals are evil. I, you know, I know that individuals are behaving, doing evil things, but I really do believe that evil is something that just devours people's soul and carries them away. And I think some of these people have gotten carried away. The sexualization of children is disgusting. The abortion, the persecution of people who stand up for the rights of unborn children is disgusting. It is it is evil. The, allowing cities to devolve into crime, allowing uh, 
migrants to sweep through the border with absolutely no restrictions. All of this stuff is wickedness. And then they have to cover it up. And, and it's all failing. Their cities are turning into garbage. San Francisco, New York, Chicago. They're just crime zones, absolute filth, filth dens. Poverty is up and prices are up. Families in in the black community have fallen apart. All of the everything they touch has turned to crap. Every single thing they've touched has turned to crap. So now they have to lie, and the press has lied and lied and lied and lied. But now they've got the problem that the polls are showing. People are starting to say, you know, even Donald Trump would be better than this. And they're going, oh, well, maybe none of this is happening. We've got, it, but we do have to. But Biden's been great. But bye bye, bye bye Biden. It's not working. This is an important moment. This is an important political moment. You know, sometimes I get tired of talking about politics. I like talking about the culture, but this is an important political moment. But there is a cultural response, and I think it's going to shock you a little bit, but I want to talk about what that should be. All right, final chapter, the things of Caesar. So like I said, I've been talking these last few weeks about the things you can do to guide yourself to the image of God and how you should turn in the direction of that image and love your neighbor, tell the truth, moral behavior. And I've been pointing out to you that these things will cost you. If you are honest, you may not make as much money. If you refuse to lie to and abuse and manipulate women, you may not get laid as often as you would otherwise. If you put the progress of your soul before the love of crowds, you'll be less famous. Christianity is not a recipe for success. Jesus lives a perfect life. It doesn't end in a penthouse. It ends on the cross. I believe if you follow him, you will have the kind of joy and full life experience that you never thought was possible. And ultimately, all the things you are meant to have, you will have. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things you need will be given to you as well. So it is worth doing these things. Now, when it comes to politics, you shouldn't do any of those things. Don't love your neighbor. Don't sacrifice your advantage. Don't act idealistically. Just win. Just win. Why? Because to choose to endure suffering or setbacks for righteousness' sake is the Christian way. To make other people endure suffering for what you think is righteousness is not the Christian way. It's just as it's Christian to give charity, but it's not Christian to take somebody else's money and give it to the poor and call it charity. That's stealing, right? It's different when you are dealing with with other people instead of just yourself. Christianity is not a governing philosophy. That's why Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. He was essentially saying, he he did say, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Here's something Jesus said about kings, about earthly kings, right? He said, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? That's that's very practical. That's very Sun Tzu. The king doesn't turn the other cheek. He doesn't love his enemies. He makes sure he has what he needs to win because he's dealing with other people. He is protecting, defending the country in which other people live. It's one thing for him to say, I'm going to die on the cross for what I believe. It is another thing for him to say, you are going to die on the cross for what he believes. One of conservatives' big complaints about socialism, right? I hate it on principle. I think it's just slavery. I do the work, you get the money. I mean, it's, that's slavery. But it also doesn't work. And we talk about this a lot, right? Conservatives are always talking about this. It doesn't take human nature into account. We work for profit. We compete. We like to compete. Ca- ca- competition spurs us to new creation. Capitalism 
takes the impulses of greed and envy and ambition and you know covetousness and it turns them to the common good so that they produce wealth and new products and new medicines nobody says to a businessman, don't make money. Sometimes only conservatives ever say that. Only conservatives say to the Daily Wire, why are you charging us for subscriptions? You know, as if like this were free, as if like we don't have to get paid, as if, you know, as if we're not a capitalist enterprise. Only conservatives do that. The, the left, the left never says that. The left is always making a buck. But, but the thing about capitalism is it uses our impulses, our natural human impulses, which are corrupted and fleshly. It uses them for the common good. And democracy does the same thing. It takes the desire for power, the desire for admiration. It takes the passions of crowds and the anger of crowds and the hatred between people. And it turns it into good leadership as long as you follow the rules. And this is something, by the way, that is modeled on God. God does these things. If you pay attention in your life, he takes the things that are not so good, like maybe your covetous lust, and he creates marriage and families out of it. He uses your suffering to give you wisdom. He turns the bad things that people have done to you and that have hurt you. He, he can turn those into good things if, if you follow him in the midst of lust and suffering and the evil and, and abuse you're suffering. And if you ask him, what am I supposed to make of this? If you say to God, what am I supposed to make of this situation? What am I supposed to make of my lust? What am I supposed to do with my desire for women? It's not like push it down, you know, keep it, make sure you're like this little creepy, you know, pure. No, no, no. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to use it to build a family and a relationship and bind yourself to your spouse and all these things. And it will lead you to the good. So capitalism and Republican democracy work exactly like God works. They take the things that you are there and they turn them to the good if, if, the capitalist system and the democracy are filled with Christian men, which is why I say first take a take note of yourself. First do make yourself into a person who can lead a capitalist life, who can lead a successful democratic life without becoming corrupt. If it's filled, if de- democracy and capitalism is filled with men who ask, what does God want me to do with my freedom, with my wealth, with my fantastic company that I've built? These systems will produce beautiful, beautiful things, but they're not themselves Christian systems. They are the things of Caesar. They are the things of this world. Just like the things of the flesh, politics and capitalism are inherently at odds with Christian values, but, but they produce Christian good when they have Christian men. But they're, you know, think about this. Think about the pictures of the saints. If you see the pictures of the saints, they're frequently from the, you know, the old days, the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, you see, they're frequently depicted carrying the weapon that killed them So that because they were all martyred, right? St. Paul has his head cut off, so he carries a sword. St. Peter was crucified upside down. St. Andrew, I think it was St. Peter who was crucified upside down. St. Andrew was crucified on an X shape. Women had their breasts cut off. The men were skinned. They were shot full of arrows. By who? By who? The government. The government, it was assumed if you were a saint, the government was going to kill you. The saints were depicted as rebels, as people the government hated just for being who they were. And the church was there to oppose the government and teach it how to become what it was supposed to be. But because the, the government, they knew was going to do what it was supposed to do. So compare that to churches now that have Black Lives Matter signs and gay pride signs and close down when the government tells them to, right? Because they're saying, oh, the, the, the world's good intentions will be enough to save the world. The world has, you know, never mind that Black Lives Matter is a Maoist, destructive, rioting, corrupt organization. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Never mind that you shouldn't be proud of your sexuality or really anything. You should be begging God for mercy because you're such a schmo, like all of us. (laughs) 
never mind, never mind any of that. We're just going to figure the world has got this all right. and We're going to do it. You need a strong oppositional church with enough power to force the kings of this world to obey the king whose kingdom is not of this world. Because, and that's what we're missing right now, the, you know, you know what it's like? It's like football. <laughs> and you know, you know, football is, an, uh, is played by many Christian men, but it's not an, a Christian game, right? Football can be beautiful. It can display Christian virtues, courage, endurance, excellence, sportsmanship. But it's not a Christian game. You don't turn the other cheek. You hit hard, right? You hit people hard. You play tough. Sometimes you get away with a little something, but not. you don't cheat too much because the penalties will kill you. And the point is to win, just like politics. So people, I get this letter all the time, and a lot of people say this to me. They wonder why I don't care about the big steal, right? The, the, the fact that Trump says the election was stolen, why I don't care because it's never going to be reversed. That's the reality of the life. Never, ever, 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 never, as not at all, ever, is the election of 2020 going to have a different outcome. It has the outcome that it had. It will continue to have it. That means that Joe Biden is the president until the end of his term. And the right's unrealism about that hurts me, right? Trump throws these temper tantrums, says don't vote in Georgia, and we lost the majority in the Senate so that Biden had a free hand. And you say, and, and people say to me, well, he was right. You have to stand up for what's right, for what's true. It was unfair. You have to stand up for what's fair. We have to stand for truth. And I think, good for you. Can I have my Senate majority back, please? Can I have my Senate majority back, please? Because you know what? That's not the way that game is played. That game is not played by the Christian rules that I live by. I live by those rules because I'm willing to suffer for them. But if you're living by those rules and you lose in the political system, I suffer. It's not you who suffers. You'll suffer too. But I'm the one who suffers. You wonder why I attack Trump's mistreatment of people as childish. And so it's not because I dislike Trump. It's so stupid. It's not because I you know, have Trump derangement syndrome. It's because they cost me. He couldn't get rid of Obamacare because he insulted McCain and McCain hated him. So he voted, voted against it. Oh, you know what? You don't like John McCain? Nice. Can I have my doctor back? You know, the wheels are coming off the Democrat bus and we have a chance to beat them. And people say, you know, oh, yeah, I'll vote for Trump even if he's in prison. And my feeling is great. Can I have my country back? Look, I'm, I'm not a, a prophet. I'm not a prognosticator. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I'm just giving you my version of the lay of the land. Nobody pays me extra for saying what I say. I get my salary. I take my salary. I go home. Nobody tells me what to say. Nobody pays me extra for what to say. This is what I think is the lay of the law. I could be wrong. Trump may win. Right now, the polls show, show him winning. I still don't think he will. I don't think Biden's going to be the candidate. I, I don't think Trump is going to win. Maybe if he wins, he'll do a good job. But there are reasons to think that he is not going to do a good job, uh, even if he wins, because he has done what he was sent to do. I think he was done, has done what he is sent to do. And I bless him for that. I really do believe he was sent by God to do it. Christian men, have built worldly systems that turn sinful humans to good ends if those systems are filled with Christian men. And the Constitution represents the best version of that political system we have. And to keep it, we have to win. And that's how we have to start thinking because the right is so full of malarkey about this. It's so full of anger. It's so full of self-righteousness. It's so full of idealism that it is, as the churches sometimes say, so heavenly that it is of no earthly good. Politics is not a Christian game. You are the Christian game. Your soul is the Christian game. But politics is a game that is played by hard people dishonestly 
for big gains. And we have to play it the way it's played. And I'm, you know, I'm not in favor of cheating. I'm not in favor of violence. I'm in favor of the rules. I think the rules work. But the rules are tough. I mean, like, just like football, I think you have to obey the rules, but that doesn't mean you don't hit hard. It doesn't mean you get every yard and keep every yard you gain. And it doesn't mean you take every win, you know, even if it's only three yards, take the three yards so you can get the seven yards next time. Do it all. Everything, everything you can gain is to gain, is, is a gain. And the idea is to win. And I just don't think that we're thinking like that. And this is the moment. They are collapsing. The Democrats are descending into evil, failure, lies. We can take them. We can take them. And we better start thinking and organizing and getting together to do what needs to be done. Clavin clapbacks. Woo! Oh, my God, really? Oh, my gosh. You know, oh, it's devastating. <laughs> Ooh, don't do it. Yeah! <laughs> Our government is filled with idiots and demented people. From Trey Kelly, first off, I absolutely love Daily Wire and all of the amazing content offered by them, but I have to say that your show is my favorite. The truth you speak is so intelligent, so well put, and so completely true and honest. I think, well, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. I think your classification of the Vex comment about our leaders being bought and paid for as nonsense, however, is a bit off. It's quite clear that it's true, and I think writing it off as nonsense is a mistake because it's a real problem that needs to be addressed. Well, here, here's the thing, Trey. I, it Money is always a problem. Wherever the money comes from, that's where the problem is. If you have a think tank that has donors, the donors are the problem. If you are the Daily Wire and you have subscribers, you have to figure out how to get subscribers, how not to alienate your subscribers while still telling them the truth. Uh, you know, there's all, money is a problem. You want to get, get money. So running for office is highly expensive. You need donors. And, and sure, you know, you're indebted in some ways to those donors, but that doesn't necessarily mean you become corrupt, right? You know, we have, we have uh, you know, money coming in here. We have donors, we have sponsors and all this stuff, but we try very hard to stay honest and, and do our jobs, which is telling you the truth as we see it. And so you're not necessarily bought off if there's money. You can't be so idealistic and so uh, superior to the world that you don't understand that they have to raise money. And I think Vivek is really being unfair. Not all politicians are totally dishonest. Not all of them are slaves to the people with money. They have to, you know, pay their debts and all this stuff. But I think it's just, I think it's overstated. I think that there are people who are bought and paid off, but they're not all bought and paid off. And some of them stand up to their donors and and do what needs to be done or tell them at the outset. So I just think it's, I, I think it's a preening. He's preening. He's saying, no, I, I have my own money, so I'm totally honest. And that's not true either, obviously. Just because you have your own money doesn't mean you're totally honest. Vivek has been caught out in a number of dishonest statements. Emily says, thank you so much for the interview with Hannah Claire. I was her five years ago, and there are many women out there in her position, involuntarily, pretty smart, successful women who cannot get a date. The dating advice from all of the other hosts rings very hollow to me, as none of them can relate to being stuck in that society-made situation. Once I got into my 30s, all of a sudden men were more motivated, and I was able to get dates and then met my husband at 36. Now, that's interesting to hear. Here is something I would really like on the clapbacks to hear. Clavin clapbacks is Clavin Clapax with Clapax is spelled with a K, obviously, so is Clavin. 
Clavin Clapbacks at DailyWire.com. I would love to hear from men who are in the dating world, not who are sitting in their basement thinking big thoughts about women, not who never leave and go out and they're playing video games and saying, well, women are all like this these days. These days, women are like, I'd like to know from men who are out in the dating world, who actually date, who are in offices with pretty women and all this, and school with pretty women. Are you interested in nice girls? Seriously, and I use that in the old-fashioned word. Girls who don't sleep around, girls who have values, girls who are Christian, who want to get married, who want to have children. Do they frighten you off? Because I hear this from a lot of women. I hear women saying, you know, I've done everything right. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't sleep around. I want to have children. I want to make a home for my husband. You know, I want to be a Christian wife. And nobody asked me out. And, you know, Ben on backstage said, well, this is because they can get the sex elsewhere. I think that may be overstated, but maybe not. I want to hear from men. Clavin Clapax at DailyWire.com. Are you going out with good girls? Are you finding girls who are not tattooed and foul-mouthed and promiscuous and saying, you know, yes, I want to have a relationship with you and I want to make it long-term? All right. Very quickly from Ashley. I heard something interesting at work today from a coworker who's a raging leftist. She was telling another coworker that she is excited to read a Harry Potter fan fiction called Manacled, which is basically the handman's tale for wizards. She almost seemed obsessed with the idea of the patriarchy. Why is it that women like this fantasy, like this fantasy world where they're captive to the men and made to be slaves by being forced to have their children? That is what is called supernormal stimulus. Wikipedia defines it as an exaggerated version of a stimulus to which there's an existing response tendency. Women are made to surrender. They are made to surrender to to their husbands. They are made to surrender to the physical processes that create life. They are made to surrender to the task of nurturing life. That can if it's not expressed healthily, it can become masochistic. So that's why 50 Shades of Grey is one of the best-selling books ever. I love this guy. Now he's going to whip me. That turned women on like crazy. That's called supernormal stimulus. If, in fact, you surrender in love, it becomes an entirely different experience, and that's why marriage can be a very healthy experience with the right guy. But that's why they love this. That's why they're so fascinated uh, by The Handmaid's Tale. They actually are turned on by it. That's why. All right, we got to go into the member block. Become a member at dailywire.com slash subscribe. I don't know what the deal is this week, but I'm sure it's, oh, there it is. Wait, you put in, what do you do? You say, become a member today. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code CLAVEN at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. The rest of you are already members. Come on over to member block.